Welcome to the Longshore Insider, the show that takes a closer look at all things Longshore. We cover safety, claims, operations, and more, all to help waterfront employers run and grow their business while controlling their bottom line. During the COVID-19 pandemic, many businesses in the maritime industry are considered essential. And as employees continue to work, claims will inevitably occur. In this episode, Dave Widener of the American Equity Underwriters sits down with Brian McElreath, a partner at the law firm of Luter, Larkin, and Hunter, and an expert in both longshore and state workers' compensation systems. Dave and Brian discuss how the pandemic is impacting longshore claims handling, how medical treatment is changing for injured workers, and the impact that fear has on the treatment process. How you doing? Great, Dave. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Good to have some social interaction and to see, uh, see and talk to somebody. Right. Uh, if you, if you, I know you're like me, and uh, you're, you're lacking in the adult social interaction right now, I believe. Very much so. Uh, lots of lots of kid time and lots of inside time. Uh, not a lot of adult social interaction. So the good folks today, you always coming through for me, and I appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad to help. Well, um, we hope we hope you can shed some insight on some of these. Uh, interesting topics we have to talk about today. Uh, you know, currently we're, we're facing a pandemic and many cities and counties are having citizen self-quarantine. This obviously presents challenges to nearly every aspect of life, but uh, fortunately in our industry, many employers can continue working um, as essential workers. Uh, so uh, business goes on, um, not, I wouldn't say as usual with obviously new precautions, but um, business goes on, claims are, are still happening, um, employer, employees are getting injured at work, and the claims we already have open are still uh, moving along. So um, from a claim standpoint, how have you seen this current situation affect injured workers receiving medical treatment? Yeah, um, there, there has been a, an effect on medical treatment. A lot of um, so I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, and do a lot of stuff throughout the Southeast. And as you well know, a lot of medical providers uh, placed a pause or a hold on non-essential treatment, even uh, surgery. Uh, so if you have, if you need a knee surgery, uh, if you need your knee scoped or you need shoulder surgery, um, unless there's something that makes that urgent, that got put off and delayed for anywhere from a month to six weeks to up to two months in some locations, depending on how hard the locality was hit. And so one of the initial challenging aspects was just making sure that care was continuous and moving forward. Um, and so now, at least fortunately in the, in the Southeast and the Gulf Coast, uh, we seem to be lessening the restrictions and maybe coming somewhat out of this back into a, a newer normal and doctors are reopening to non-essential service. And so now we're able to get uh, claimants back in for treatment. And now, but now we're seeing another ramification of claimants being fearful of going to the doctor for treatment. Um, and so then that leads us to parse out, is this a legitimate fear? A lot of us have fear and trepidation about many things. When can I go to a restaurant again? Well, I can go now, but is it safe for me to go? Right. Uh, so rightfully so, claimants think that same thing about going to the doctor, but you have to figure out, is that a rational fear or is this 
some sort of gamesmanship that's being played with the claim that is seeking to prolong the claim and maybe prolong benefits during a period of time of uncertainty. Uh, if you have a certain check coming in per week and you can maximize that by dragging out your medical treatment, does it create some perverse incentives to maybe not want to go to the doctor? And so you have to try to discern which claimant has a rightful fear. Are they in the age range that makes them more susceptible? Uh, do they have comorbidities that maybe make them more susceptible? Or are they like you and I and are you know, relatively younger and healthy and as long as their doctors are taking the proper precautions should be attending their appointments? That's been the most challenging thing right out of the gate with this as far as medical treatment. No, I agree. That's, that's, that's certainly a challenging aspect of, of the whole situation. And I know with my Department of Labor background, um, you know, I, I would, lots of times I'm asked, how will DOL see this situation, especially with our claims uh, here uh, with Alma? Um, and especially during the time of lockdown, if your county or your city or, or even your state was in lockdown and, and you weren't able to do the elective type surgeries, I'd have a hard time seeing an ALJ not finding that refusal to go to the doctor unreasonable. But obviously as we get out of this now, and just like you said, you know, there, there's, there's gonna be more opportunities for people to leave the house and go to the doctor and things are getting safer for the, in that aspect. There will be, you know, there certainly will be gamesmanship just like there is in, in every aspect of claims, um, especially you know, as we move towards litigation and just, you know, trying to resolve just disputes with, uh, with injured workers and their attorneys. Um, have you, have you seen any innovative strategies that, uh, employers and carriers are, uh, are, are using, um, to, to continue the medical treatment and, and move claims? Yeah. And, um, not to, uh, stroke your ego, but as usual, AU is kind of on the leading edge of these, um, but there's been a, a rapid growth in the use of telemedicine just to keep continuity of care. Obviously, you can't perform a knee surgery over telemedicine, but if you have someone that is maybe post-knee surgery or pre-knee surgery or is treating conservatively, um, you can keep some continuity of care with telemedicine. And there have been a lot of providers that were able to shift and pivot to that pretty quickly, uh, both to provide the service to their clients uh, the claimants. And um, I guess it also helps them because they're, they're keeping their practice open and their, their families and their staff uh, fed. And so there's been that. There have also been carriers that have been willing to maybe authorize some treatment outside of the normal, the normal area. Um, if, if Charleston is on lockdown and you can't have someone seen in Charleston, but you have someone that needs some kind of treatment that they will provide in Myrtle Beach, 90 miles away, or Beaufort, you know, 75 miles away. Maybe you bite the bullet and pay for the transportation or the mileage, or if the claimant wants to get that care, and you let them go to Myrtle Beach, you let them go to Columbia, let them go to, to Beaufort or Savannah, because paying that $200 in mileage or pales in comparison to an extra six weeks of TTD that you're paying if they're just sitting at home waiting on that appointment to be delayed for a month or six weeks. Uh, so there've been some, some innovative strategies and uh, the, the, the AUs of the world have certainly been on the, the forefront of pushing those strategies. 
but claimants to their credit have been willing, most claimants have been willing to, as we all know, most claimants aren't bad claimants. They want to go back to work. And right. most claimants have been willing to pivot as well. And if there's something that helps them get better and provide for their families quicker, most are willing to consider it. I know uh, from a legal aspect, we've always shied away from the telemedicine, you know, tight visits and virtual clinics and stuff like that. Because, you know, um, when, when you're in court, when you're before an ALJ, they're going to give more weight to the doctor that's actually touched the patient and, you know, had a face-to-face -face conversation rather than, you know, someone that's just seeing them and, and hearing complaints, uh, you know, via Skype or, um, you know, online and some other aspect. But um, do you see this type of medical treatment uh, having legs and, and moving toward, to where we're going to see it more in the future? I think it certainly has a, its place kind of in the toolkit. Uh, I don't think it becomes the predominant treatment, but does it have a place in the future? Absolutely. Um, and I think that's been the, if there's been any kind of silver lining just from the claims standpoint, uh, it's forced everyone on all sides, uh, judges, us on the defense side, claimants and plaintiffs on, on the other side of the ball to consider maybe we can do some of this stuff that we've been resident to consider uh, in the past uh, for whatever reason it may have been. And so I don't think it overtakes person to person care because as you noted, you know, I mean, there's nothing like sitting across from, this is fun to talk to you right now <laughs> and see you, but it's not like having a beer with you. You know, I can't wait to have <laughs> right. a hug when we get finished, you know, and all this. Right. Is and so I think that's kind of how telemedicine is. Is it better than nothing? And does it have a place? Um, absolutely. Does it become the predominant treatment? I don't think so, but um, you know, are there areas where maybe it does it? The DBA industry? Maybe. Uh, if you're in black lung and you have people in outlying areas in West Virginia or Kentucky that have two hours to get to the doctor, yeah, you know, what's the harm in mixing in some telemedicine every third appointment or something like that? I think I think that's maybe where it comes into play more so than you're going to get only telemedicine. Maybe every third appointment becomes telemedicine to ease the burden on both claimants and on doctors and on providers. That makes a lot of sense. It's uh, I know you, you mentioned DBA. It's it's something we've seen in DBA, you know, for many years, uh, especially with site cases. You know, there's just there's a tremendous amount of PTSD claims uh, in the DBA. And so you do have, you know, a handful of experts around the country that, you know, it's very expensive to fly them all over the world. And so you do have a lot of that telemedicine work in there. But, you know, yeah, I think as we've seen it with the traumatic injuries now and the orthopedic type injuries, um, it's nice to see, I agree with you, it's nice to have another tool in your toolbox. Um, and uh, and, and the, what I'm impressed with is, um, you know, during this pandemic, Medicare's kind of embraced it. They, 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 um, they changed some regulations to um, make that care um, more easily uh, reimbursed under Medicare. And I think it's caused some doctors to, to move forward and, and getting, you know, better equipment and, 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 and more robust software and stuff like that so that they can provide this um, type of service, you know, which um, was, was, was very handy at, at this point in time. Um, can you, 
can you think of any other um, any other lessons learned through this, just as, as far as medical treatment goes? Well, I, I think the one thing, and this may be an unintended consequence, but I think a lesson kind of going back to the telemedicine is I think as this becomes more um, ubiquitous throughout the, throughout the medical community, um, I know my, my company, like most big companies, we shop our health insurance with rising rates, you know, every two or three years. And our new provider has a, like a telemedicine app for your phone. And rather than being, you know, a stubborn man like usual and just trying to gut stuff out, now that I have that option, I get treatment for stuff that I would have just gutted out and been miserable for, you know, a week or 10 days before, because I can just go on the app, text the doctor, you know, the doctor calls me and says, hey, what's going on? And I tell the doctor, he or she, was, what's going on? And they call me in a prescription and I feel better in two days or three days rather than getting it out for a week. And so I think there could be a lot of benefits kind of on the front end, uh, preventative health, rather than, which hopefully helps mitigate the injuries that you and I see on the back end. Um, I think that's the one thing. And I also think, hope, me personally, but I think a lot of people uh, during this time where we've been, been forced to slow down, uh, you know, a lot of people have started taking their health more seriously and, um, you know, going on walks. And I think that's some other stuff that kind of preventative care on the front end that may ideally would help us on the back end with, uh, even if it doesn't, you don't see a drastic decrease in injuries, less comorbidities hopefully leads to lesser treatment times. Uh, so I think those could be some of the positive aspects to, or the silver lining uh, to the medical treatment that we, the changes in medical treatment we've seen during the pandemic. No, absolutely. Well, uh, thanks, Brian, for providing your insight. Thanks for listening to the Longshore Insider, a production of the American Equity Underwriters, the leader in USLNH for waterfront employers. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more Longshore-related insights, visit us on our website at longshoreinsider.com.